Blog Talk Radio. Live from Talladega, you're in the pit stop with Tenda Spain and Stephen Wilson on the Speedway Digest Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher Radio, and your Apple Podcast. Live from Dega Nation, I'm Tim to Spain alongside my good friend and CEO of SpeedwayDigest.com up in the Commonwealth of Virginia, Mr. Stephen Wilson. We've got a lot to talk about tonight, uh, but before we get to talking about racing, uh, our good friend Reverend Joe has the night off, so filling in for Reverend Joe, we have uh, from the Re- Revived Church, my good friend, Mr. Wesley Allen. Let's bring Wesley into the pit stop with Tim in Spain and Stephen Wilson. Thanks, Tim. It's an honor. Let's let's pray. Yes, sir. Father, we just want to thank you for this radio show and thank you for Tim and Suzanne and Stephen. God, pray that you'd bless them and bless the Pit Stop Radio. Lord, we thank you for another day of life, and we pray that what we do would bring a smile to your face, God. We ask that you'd forgive us where we fail you, and we pray for all the races this week, God, that you'd you would uh, uh, you protect the drivers, Lord, and let the races go well. Let no one get hurt. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity to live in this land that we live in, God, for a free country where we can enjoy sports like these. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, Wes. Thank you. 
Well, it's great invocation, uh, and thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you and I spoke earlier. You've got a lot going on tonight also. But would you like to talk a little bit about uh, about what your church, the Revive Church, has going on? You know, maybe Vacation Bible School, if if I, I, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, maybe y'all have already had it. But uh, And where they can follow you at on social media and the uh, church, which is the way the crow flies, uh, where it's just sort of south southwest of the pit stop radio show is where that church is about a mile the way the crow flies but you got the floor my friend yeah we're not far from god's country the home base of pit stop radio so uh, <laughs> like tim said we are a revived church it's a little bit different church than a lot of them and the, the the whole goal is to reach the city of talladega if you know much about talladega there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad too and we just want to reach out and touch some people that are hurting or not you know struggling in life you know there's, there's good times in life and there's bad times and we just want to reach those people and show them uh what the love of god can do in their life and what it can change and uh i'm glad to be a part of it for sure and uh you can look us up on facebook just revive church our website is revivechurchag.com revivechurchag standing for assemblies of god.com wes thank you very much like i said again taking time out of your busy schedule to come on to radio show and do our, do our invocation and uh you have a good rest of the night my friend and i will see you at coos valley in the morning bud don't work too hard all right sounds good it's an honor buddy thank you very much bud we'll see you in the morning bud all right bye-bye all right bye that's my good friend here wesley, wesley allen filling in for uh speedwaydigest.com i mean not speedway that filling in for reverend joe there but I just want to take the time out to let everybody know the number to call in is 215-383-3681 uh I'm Tim Spain alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com, Stephen Wilson up there in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And coming on tonight, uh, at the bottom of the hour, we have uh, my good friend, Mr. Tommy Joe Martins, coming off 11th place finish there in the NASCAR Xfinity Series at uh, Iowa Speedway. And at the top of the hour, we have uh, my good friend, Stan Creekmore from StanCreekmore.com. He will be coming on. We're going to talk a little bit of NHRA. I think he has a guest coming on. I spoke with him earlier, and I apologize. I can't remember the nut. Remember the name, but the number to call in again is 215-383-3681. I'm Tim in Spain, and at this time, we're going to take a little short break while we're waiting on Stephen. Stephen, Stephen must have got busy, but uh, let's take a little short break and sort of pay some of our bills. And again, uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Wesley Allen, Allen for doing the invocation. We will be right back shortly after this break.
whatever happens, happens. And there's a reggae band full of dreadheads just sitting in the corner laughing. Well, my baby walks over, drops a 20 in the jar. She smiles and shakes it at me. Yeah, she gets some gone. She gets some playing a little. Don't worry, be happy. And Welcome back. We're live from Dega Nation. I'm Tim Spain alongside SpeedwayDigest.com's. Sorry about that. Welcome back. We're live from Dega Nation alongside SpeedwayDigest.com's. Mr. Stephen Wilson, we got a lot to talk about. I'm going to thank Wesley Allen there again for coming on doing the invocation while Reverend Joe took the night off. So let's bring Stephen Wilson back in. Uh, Stephen, how you doing tonight, my friend? I'm all right. I'm running a little bit behind tonight is what I'm doing. <laughs> no problem, but uh, I was doing the same. Uh you know, you texted me said you and AM was talking. Well, actually, Susanna and I, we were on the back porch trying to talk about, you know, trying to get somebody to come help us clean these flyer beds up. It looks like a darn jungle around here. But anyway, we were talking. I said, Suzanne, hey, we got about two minutes. I need to go in there. I said, I've already called in. But anyway, Stephen, uh, tonight we have uh, Tommy Joe Martins coming on at the bottom of the hour. Uh, he coming off 11th place finish there at Iowa Speedway. Good, great run for Tommy Joe. And then at the top of the hour, uh, uh, Stan Creekmore is going to come in. He wants to talk a little bit NHRA, and I know you have a couple of questions for uh, for Stan. And I think he has a he uh, texted me earlier. He has a he has a guest that's coming on. It's been around the NHRA for a long time, and you might want to ask him some questions. Just like uh, I mentioned to Stan, I said, so this guy is sort of like one of them guys that probably honestly knows more than the media does about the sport. And Stan said that. But uh, Stephen, at this time, I have something coming in. I have a I have a I have some breaking news, Stephen. Hold on one. Hold on one. This just in, uh, Stephen. I got a statement from uh, Danica Patrick from Stuart Haas Racing about the early race incident there with uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Sonoma Raceway in the Toyota Safe Mart 350. Let's uh, let's see what she has to say. Hold on one second, Stephen. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when Things were going great till they fell apart again 
So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job, and you just pray for them. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know. there from Dan Kirkpatrick uh, after the uh, race there at Sonoma race for this past weekend, the uh, 350 Toyota, Toyota Save Mark 350 there. Uh, Dale sort of come into that, hair, that hairpin turn there, Stephen, and sort of uh, and sort of wheel hopped it coming in. Well, he shot across through the uh, through the cones there, and Danica, you know, was coming on around, and just, I mean, he T-boned her. So uh, that was a statement there. I don't think Danica was real happy with Dale Jr. I know you were out of town. You were out of pocket. Didn't have time to really watch it. Y'all were on the, like a mini vacation and everything. But Stephen, uh, do you have any breaking news before I want to go into? Uh, I have the media center interview there from Alon Day. Uh, uh, Ron Devine apologized. Alon could not come on tonight. But do you have any breaking news that we need to talk about before we get into some of our uh, racing stuff this past weekend? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, we've got some pretty big stuff from uh, Chase Elliott coming out earlier today. Um, from Hendrick Motorsports, um, he he he's the he has signed back on with the team. He is a through 2022, 
So uh, originally his contract was going to run out in 2018, and he'll be there through now at least 2022 uh, with that number 2014. Uh, you know, I, you know, I was discussing this earlier, you know, with some of our contributors, and you know, really, I think it, you know we're almost, you know, almost on the same page with this is that he, you know, with Chase Elliott. There's, um, you know, when you, when you look back to Jeff Gordon and you look back at uh, Jim Johnson, Jim Johnson, you know, he's in his 40s right now, and at some point he's going to retire. Uh, is it going to be in this five-year period that um, that Chase Elliott has now signed through 2018 to 2022? Who knows? I mean, that's a long time um, out there. Um, that's uh, six and a half more seasons out here that we're now going to go through. Um, so, you know, there, there's some new faces that are going to potentially going to be taking that banner over at, uh, Hendrick Motorsports. And if a lot of people remember, Jeff Gordon signed a lifetime deal with, uh, Hendrick Motorsports and, you know, Jimmy Johnson is in the same deal where, you know, he's, he's there until he retires or whenever that, you know, he chooses to get out of that race car, um, I, I don't foresee that Chase Elliott will ever be in, in a position where he will, um, you know, Hendrick Motorsports is ever going to look to give him up because, I mean, when he gets behind drivers, he gets behind them for pretty much the length of their career. Uh, you've got, But then you also, you take a look, you've got uh, uh, Dale... Uh, Dale Jr., he's, he's leaving out there at the end of this year. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on over there at uh, Junior Motorsports. I mean, sorry, at uh, Hendrick Motorsports right now. And potentially things that are going to be happening in the next couple of years. Uh, I'm sure, you know, they've got some ideas you would think by now or who they want to put in that number 88 car. Um, that 48 car in the next couple of years. There's going to be some considerations as to where that's going to be, and I think William Byron is most likely going to be that person that we're going to see either in that 48 or that number five car in the next couple of years. They've bought him over there and are beginning to groom him for one of those rides. Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of talent, a lot of things coming up over there, and these are going to start to be your new faces over there at Hendrick Motorsports over the next couple of years. Stephen, we've got a lot of stuff going on, too. You and I, we've been getting a lot of press releases. And I want to throw this out there, too. We had a statement come out from BK Racing from uh, team owner Ron Devine. Uh, he announced the uh, the uh, team's, uh, the uh, drivers and the crew chiefs this weekend at uh, Daytona for their Coke Zero 400 there. Uh, uh, Cor LaJora will be back behind the wheel of the number 23 Toyota Camry and Ryan Sieg will also pilot the number 83 Dustin Splash and Toyota Camry. Uh, and, you know, this past weekend, Ron had made, or last week before the uh, race there, the, road, the first road, road course race of the season there at Sonoma, Ron made the statement that he was going to park the 83 and he put uh, A-Line Day in the 23. So Ron is bringing both of them vehicles back. So that's a good deal there with uh, BK Racing and everything going into this weekend, uh, the July, the annual July 4th there at Coke 600 there at Daytona. Yeah, and, you know, when we – you know, there, there, there's a lot. There's been a lot of things that you, when, when we look back, and if you remember back at the beginning of the year on this, you know, we spoke to him and we spoke to the team on this. 
you know, they said that they weren't going to put a whole lot of drivers and they weren't going to go back to this rotisserie of drivers into the cars this year, and they were going to try and put two drivers in the car. That was going to be Greg Alding in number 23, and that was going to be Corey LaJore in the 83, and they were going to use that number 93 car from time to time as they, um, you know, saw fit to either use it as a testing car or, uh, you know, whatever they may, uh, you know, see out there. However, you know, it seems like some of the some of this has changed now. Uh, you know, we had some reports at Pocono that you know the uh, you know Ryan Sieg was potentially asked to get in that number twenty three car in place of uh, Ray Galding. Ray Galding was pulled out of that car at Michigan. Uh, he was taken out of the car again at um, you know Sonoma in place of. Uh, you know, Elon Day and Corey LaJoy in the number 83 car wasn't even bought there and wasn't even end of end. However, you know, they're going to both be back this weekend, or the 83 and 23 are going to be back this weekend at Daytona. Um, but earlier today, one of the one of the interesting things about this whole conversation is Greg Alding tweeted that it appears he's no longer with the team at BK Racing. Uh, he exactly. has been tapped. Uh, he he's been now tapped for Premium Motorsports to to run it. Um, you know, run a couple of races for them. I believe it's at Kentucky, and New Hampshire here coming up. And uh, you know, silently they've let him go uh, from that team uh, without much fanfare. Yeah, and Stephen, I want to ask you this, but I want to tell our listeners we are not fake news. We just sort of go by what we hear. We try to report everything true. But Stephen had heard this through the rumor reveal. And it's just rumor reveal. This does not this does not come back on Tim Despain and Stephen Wilson. Stephen, I asked you this. I heard this through the rumor reveal, like I keep saying. Before uh uh day, I don't know if it was today or earlier, there was rumor before Chase Elliott signed and I want you to correct if I'm wrong. And there was rumor before Chase Elliott signed his deal through 2022 with Henry Motorsports. And I'm not calling BK Racing out on this because I don't know the facts. I've not got the PR. I've never heard anything. It's just rumorville, like I keep saying, quote, unquote, rumorville, that Chase Elliott was possibly talking with Ron Devine and BK Racing. I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you confirm that or is that fake news? Yeah, I, I mean, I've never heard anything like that at all. I mean, we 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 hear so many things, you know, through the through the vines. You know, so many things are posted online these days that, you know, you really just we have to be so careful as to you know what we go through and believe. And you know, obviously, you know, as we were talking, you know, Chase Elliott had a, had a contract through 2018, and you know, those those are things that you know would. You know, with those discussions would have been private by many different natures, but you know, it's you know, there's you know, there's other rumors out there, you know, that that are currently circulating around at this point, and you know, we're you know trying to confirm some of those right now to to figure out, you know, whether they're true, whether they're not. You know, there's you know two current ones out there, and you know, you know, you know, possibly about you know, a, a shutdown of BK Racing in general. Um, you know, this has been circulated around for a lot, at least a week, week and a half or so. And, exactly. uh, you know, they, they, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's going on, but, you know, you've got to, 
be so careful as to, you know, what you report on and how you report on it because you can't, you know, necessarily believe on, you know, what people put out there on the Internet, and that's for sure. Exactly, Steve. You know, you have been doing this a lot longer than I have. I think I'm going on four years, and you got to watch what you, you got to watch what you post, man. Because I mean, you know, you can, you can get in some, you can get into into some real trouble with NASCAR, and that's that's why I sort of, you know, you've been. You know what to sort of watch for, and when I see something come up, you know, like I just asked you about that rumor, Bill, I always text you, but uh, sorry I put that out there for all of our listeners to uh, listen to. But, Stephen, coming up, I want to I wanna play a, a little bit of Alon Day's interview. Uh, he made history there at Sonoma. He's the first uh, gentleman from Israel to start in one of NASCAR's premium series there. I want to play a little bit of his interview, Stephen, if I can, before uh, – we have our guest coming up here on the bottom of the hour. So let's listen to a little bit about what uh, Elon Day from BK Racing would say at the media center and Sonoma Raceway. We'll go ahead and get started with our media availabilities. We are kicking things off today with Elon Day, driver of the number 23 Earthwater Toyota for BK Racing. Elon is making his Monster Energy Series debut this weekend, and with his start here, he becomes the first Israeli driver to ever to compete in NASCAR's top series. That's quite an exciting first for your career, Alon. Talk about a bit about that and what your plans are this weekend. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting being uh, being here. Uh, it's kind of a dream come true since I was a kid. Um, driving, I don't know, nine, ten years old, driving the NASCAR game, video game, uh, and suddenly I'm here <laughs> doing it, the real thing. Uh, it's definitely definitely a dream come true. Um, yeah, I'm super excited. It's kind of a history, not only for me. It's history for, for Israel, for um, for everybody. And I'm pretty sure that uh, in Israel, people are really exciting and uh, rooting for me. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm just excited. I can't wait to go to drive the car. Can you speak in a southern accent? No, no, I can speak in Israeli or uh, in Arabic if you want, but not not a southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> you can understand me. <laughs> this crazy scene all the cars all the people all the fuel all the heat what, what 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 would you what would someone from your country not expose to this what would be their reaction to this if just let me understand if someone from israel came coming coming now if they'd never seen one of these events before they don't know anything about stock car racing i don't know you know um it's uh in Israel, we barely have motorsport. I mean, we do now have motorsport. We're just growing up. Um, but uh, I'm pretty sure they will be a bit shocked to see how how the motorsport here working and how the all the, the facility and, and the teams and the track, everything in, is, is organized in a, not in the typical Israeli way. You know, the Israeli way is like kind of uh, crazy and uh, messy. And uh, here it's so organized. And I'm pretty sure every Israeli person who came here to coming here to see the race will be will be a bit shocked what makes you nervous in an event like this? i'm not nervous i'm excited you're excited yeah yeah we'll we'll go ahead if you have a question please raise your hand and state your name and affiliation once we call on you and we'll we'll get you in go right up here oh. we talked on the phone uh when we talked you said that 
up until about a decade ago, motorsports was actually illegal in Israel, and yet you had enough votes from motorsports fans to get an Athlete of the Year award. So how is it that a country that doesn't allow racing has so many racing fans? Um, I think the fact that it's illegal makes it so big. I think every illegal thing in the world, you always have more people who want it. You know, um, uh, the fact that it was illegal in Israel makes it makes people want it even more and more. And now when it's legal, it's kind of uh, exploding. Um, that's the reason why we have so many fans in Israel who's cheering and, and watching NASCAR now. And until a few years ago, I don't think people knew what NASCAR is. They just think it's it's a people who turn left and now they realize the sport. It's, it's a good thing and it's definitely a progress. Um, and I, I think you can see the progress, especially when, I, when they vote for me to, for the Athlete of the Year. You know, it's, uh, it's a big award. It's probably the biggest prize, uh, the biggest award the sportsman in Israel can win. Um, so it shows you how, how we progress, that's for sure. All right, we'll go right here in the Stephen Alon mentioned uh, that it's illegal to race in the country of Israel. I did not know that until I, I listened to his media center interview, but he handled himself really, really well there. And I want to apologize. Uh, some of that stuff are coming on. NASCAR had to sort of had to sort of get everything together and sort of get everybody to quit asking so many questions and get a wireless mic to everybody. But you want to touch a little bit about on why is racing illegal in Israel, Stephen? I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot, but figures you might could help us out. That I can't even help you on my own self because I've <laughs> I, I've never heard that before tonight. Well, you know, uh, the only thing that I can't really touch on is you know, as NASCAR continues to make inroads really in Europe, it, you know, with NASCAR Euro Series over there, they've uh, continued to really, uh, you know, branch out over there. Uh, similar to if you think of what NASCAR did in the '90s here and moved the sport really. Or you know, really, when you take and look at what Winston did for the sport here, uh, the NASCAR Euro Series started as a very small uh, series over there. We're only running on just a handful of tracks, and now they're in multiple countries over there, running all over Europe, um, running in uh, you know many different venues. They've got, I mean, the fan base over there is continuously growing and not only growing in the aspect that they're watching the drivers over there, but they're starting to tune in and watch, you know, NASCAR here in the States. So, you know, it, it's a it's a massive fan base over there that, you know, is continuously growing worldwide. And I think that you're seeing that as a next untapped market for NASCAR itself and, and where they're going. I mean, they're putting a lot of resources behind this and especially um, the marketing effort over there, uh, what they're trying to do to get some of these drivers, because they are naming some of these drivers to NASCAR next. You know, Elon Day has been one of those that have been named to that. Uh, you know, one of these next drivers to take a look at, that they will be, uh, you know, drivers, you know, in the foreseeable future here in the States, probably running in one of these premier series or top three national series, uh, obviously making his uh, first, appearance in, in, in the Monster Energy Series, but, you know, uh, he, he most likely and others most likely, you know, as they continue to garner talent, uh, will start moving, coming over here. And, I mean, we've seen uh, drivers from here. Bobby Labonte just went over and ran for uh, a race over there in the NASCAR Euro Series, a, a former champion in the series. I mean, we've seen Xfinity drivers do the same thing. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of cross-promotion between the two. 
the NASCAR National Series here and NASCAR Euro Series in general. And Stephen, you and your staff there at Speedway Digest, y'all, y'all have always been big supporters of the NASCAR Next Series there. And, you know, NASCAR names off, I don't know how many drivers every year, but uh, your your website, SpeedwayDigest.com, y'all have always been a big supporter of that. And uh, I I think it's a I think it's a good thing that NASCAR started doing that. I mean, you know, uh, sort of brings in the minority. It brings in your, uh, like our good friend Humpy Wheeler always says, your uh, – your dirt road country boy in the cornfields there at Iowa, you know, it sort of brings him in there and we've had, we've had drivers come on and NASCAR sends them through a, uh, you know, they, they go through a media talk deal to learn how to ha- handle themselves for the media and all that. I mean, it's, it's a big deal there with, with NASCAR and Steve, we could talk about that a little bit later on, but um, at this time, I want to bring on driver of the number 78 diamond gusset jeans Chevrolet for BJ McLeod motorsports. My good friend, Mr. Tommy Joe Martin. Let's get ready to rumble! Tommy Joe, how you doing tonight, bud? Oh, I'm doing great, man. How you guys doing? We're doing great. Tommy, I want to thank you very much for taking time out to come out, taking time out of your busy schedule to come on with Stephen and I, Stephen Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com, up there in Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, congratulations on that 11th place finish here at Iowa, bud. Good run. Oh, thank you, man. It meant a lot to the team. Uh, small teams, generally, you know, our expectations are to run around the top 25 every week. So to have a have a run like that, it was big, big lift. Uh, and everybody's just really taking time to enjoy it this week before they head down to Daytona. That's awesome, bud. And I'm going to hand you over to Stephen Wilson because Stephen says every time we get a guest on, he says, Tim, you always go first. So I'm going <laughs> to. I just want to throw that perk in there, Tommy Joe. I'm going to go over to Stephen Wilson there, and I'll yeah, have no a couple problem. questions. All right, I'll I'll have a couple couple questions after Stephen gets done. Hey, Tommy, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight. Hey, I know you just mentioned the the 11th place run out there at Iowa this past weekend, but can you just touch just a little bit on what that 11th place run really means to a small team like you guys out there and going forward? Uh, how that will help you out? You know, honestly, I think it's more of an emotional lift than anything else. Uh, where, where we're running most of the time is in that kind of 25th to 30th place bracket out there in the Xfinity Series. And and uh, with BJ McLeod Motorsports, they kind of knew what they were getting into. Uh, we think this is probably one of the most competitive years for the Xfinity Series ever. Uh, you got about probably 18 to 20 teams out there every week that have uh, cup affiliations directly. So, it's a really tough series to, to be trying to cut your teeth in. And uh, they're trying to build it up a little bit by a little bit. So 25th to 30th is kind of what we expect to run. And to get a run like 11th place, it's more it's more of an emotional lift because you need one of those every once in a while. Uh, you know, I get it. There's nothing really sexy about running, you know, 26th. Like, we like it. <laughs> Excuse me. We know that's about where we need to be. To run 11th uh, just picks up everybody on the team and involves sponsors, uh, team members, friends, family. I had so many people reaching out to me after a run like that, and, and it just means a lot because you kind of lose track uh, during the grind of it, uh, just how much it means to everybody. And, and to have a run like that, it just lifts up the whole team where they know that on any given night, you know, you can have a run like this. So you got to stay in it. You got to stay uh, committed 100% and, and never give up on a given night, no matter how it's going for you. Earlier this year, you guys were 
in NASCAR Camper World Truck Series, and you kind of gravitated a little bit away from that and moved over to the Xfinity Series. But here just a couple of weeks ago, you announced that Martin Motorsports was going to return back to the Camper World Truck Series. Can you talk just a little bit of, in, on the transitional period on why you moved away from the trucks and went into the uh, into the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and now why you're making that return back? Well, it was mainly a financial decision. Uh, in the truck series, and there's been a lot written about this, uh, the business model there for small teams in the truck series is very difficult. Uh, the prize money allotted is uh, just not nearly as much as it is there in the Xfinity series. So when we were planning on doing it with uh, Diamond Gusset Jeans as a sponsor there in our Xfinity program, um, we were trying to make a decision based mostly on finances, uh, where we were trying to find a home, and we knew that if we went out there and qualified for the races, we would have an opportunity to get a lot closer to breaking even than in the truck series. Um, but uh, we also noticed just how much the truck series shift from our uh, departure, Red Horse shut down, um, some other teams scaled back, uh, how more Friesen Racing, they, they stepped away. Um, I believe the 92 truck, uh, Robbie Benton, and then they, they stepped away. So the dynamic here in the truck series was changing quite a bit as well, where maybe it wasn't going to take the type of commitment that we were giving to it to run competitively inside the top 20. Uh, and, and this is not me talking junk about it at all. Uh, I really love a lot of the teams and the drivers and the people out there in the truck series. But uh, without a doubt, it's gotten weaker. Uh, the series has gotten weaker uh, over the course of this year as teams have been struggling. So, we just thought, honestly, that's a better spot for a small team in the truck series to be competitive um, with minimal resources, even though maybe the prize money and, the, and and that side of things wouldn't be nearly as much. We know we have a chance to go out there and be a little more competitive, whereas with our Xfinity program, we weren't worried about necessarily the finishing order so much as we knew that we would just be getting paid a little bit more, and we would deal with that until we had a chance to build it up. So it was mainly a financial business decision. Uh, and we're excited about getting a chance to put Matt Mills in a truck, he's had a chance to, to work with a former crew chief last year, Kevin Eagle. He's worked with them a little bit uh, this year uh, for a team called Faith Motorsports who wound up buying the 44 number from us. That's the number we ran last year. And now we're going to have a chance to put him in a truck in Kentucky and, and continue that relationship. And, and then also J.R. Hefner, who had a tremendous run um, at El Pura last year, won a qualifying race, finished 15th in the race, was actually running third before uh, the exhaust fell off the truck and he fell a couple laps down. So this is a really exciting couple weeks for Martin's Motorsports. We think we got a chance to go out there and really have a couple good runs. I mean, you you, you just talked just on a couple of different, you know, on a couple of different things, uh, you know, in that question right there or the answer to that question right there. So, you know, I'm going to try and break it down just a little bit, uh, just a little bit further, if you don't mind. You know, as a team owner out there, you, you just hit on some of the things out there. Obviously, uh, Red Horse Racing out there, you know, a team that had been around for quite a while. They uh, went to Charlotte, and then within the next couple of days, they did close down. You know, there's also rumors out there that uh, that maybe even GMS will uh, close their close their program down and move over to the Cup Series uh, as early as next year. And there's some other rumors going out, you know, every day. I mean, we never know what's going to be true and what is not going to be true in, in the Camper Oil Truck Series or in NASCAR in general. But, you know, when you look at the series of, uh, as a whole, uh, you know, I, I've seen, you know, what these pay. And a lot of times, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a last place finish out there is $1,500 $1, and the first place is, you know, uh, 
five figures. I mean, it's it's nowhere near as you know what glamorous is what other people think. And then you know, obviously, we've we've heard the comments from uh, Kyle Bush out there on the types of money that they're putting into it, the the Brad Keselowski's of the world, and the money that they're funding these out there. Um, you know, from an owner's perspective on this, um, what needs to change? How does it need to change, and what can NASCAR even do to change it? Well, a couple things here. You know, you can't be unrealistic. So I've seen a lot of comments about, well, they got to go to a lot of short tracks. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. But you also can't be unrealistic. I mean, it has to be a moneymaker for both the track and the series. Um, so from an ownership standpoint, I mean, I'd love for the, for the truck series to pay out more money. But that's probably unrealistic. I mean, it's completely based on sponsorship and, and viewers and attendance. And so if that's not going to change a whole lot, really all you can hope for is to cut the cost, which I've been pretty vocal about in my blog and a lot of things that I've written and said. Um, that the cost needs to change. The, the business model there needs to change quite a bit. Uh, uh, but uh, one of the things that they could do mainly is, is change the engines. Uh, you know, the engine cost right now is extremely high. But if we could just drop that down to maybe like a spec motor or something like that or, or just allow the older motors, the older style motors that are a little cheaper, uh, give them an opportunity to – I don't know, get a little more mileage out of them, that would be great. I mean, motor cost is probably the biggest detriment to a lot of this. I mean, you have top teams leasing motors for around twenty-five dollars to $35,000 per race in the truck series. Well, that's extremely expensive uh, and, and much more than the prize money that's even being paid. And then you also have uh, tire bills, uh, which that, unfortunately, I just don't see that changing. Um, a new set of tires is $2,200. And for the truck series, that's about – five sets to six sets per race weekend. And, you know, if you were going to try to get all new tires, well, good grief, that's basically going to eat up your entire allotment of prize money. So just those two things, it's just not going to really jive with trying to make living off the prize money viable unless you're doing it extremely cheap with, with used tires and used motors and, and a very small crew of people. Uh, it's just not going to work. So unless unless they did something dramatic, Go to a bias supply tire, which would be a lot cheaper. Go to a spec motor, which could be a lot cheaper. Uh, maybe eliminate pit crews or something like that. I mean, dr- dramatic, dramatic cost reduction. Uh, the bodies could go to more of like a uh, a flange fit body like they're using in ARCA right now in the E-Series. So just something dramatic like that. And, and really, it would take all of those to, to make it a viable series as far as just living straight off the prize money. And even then, to be profitable, it's still going to take sponsorship money, but uh, it shouldn't take as much as it's taking right now. You have teams that are trying to raise fifty to seventy-five to $150,000 in prize money, or excuse me, in sponsorship money, just to break even at the end of the year, uh, the way they're, they're structuring their teams. So that's, that's insane. I don't think that can possibly be sustained, and that's why you're seeing it. The, the series shift as much as it is right now. It's just in a very weird place. And my final question for you is, is that, you know, I, you know, the Camper World Truck Series, and you know, it's just a couple of days ago, we, we, we saw that Fox Sports is, is going to move the Eldor race, which is arguably probably one of the biggest races of the year that anybody is going to tune in and watch uh, to, to an obscure network Fox business. Uh, you know, even even Marcus Lemonis, who is sponsoring the series, even even uh, combat at some of uh, Fox Sports, 
uh, theories on more people uh, have that or the equal amount of people have that. It's, you know, Fox or, I mean, Fox Sports 1. Um, but when you start seeing things like that, um, is that, you know, is that a help or is that just a hindrance in, in general? Oh, 100% a hindrance. And that's something that several people have spoken out about and, and been frustrated with, and, and I'm absolutely one of them. Um, Eldora is, without a doubt, uh, a crown jewel for the truck series, and that's something that, honestly, I, I never thought I would say. I, I thought it was kind of a niche thing when it started. I kind of combated it a little bit. I thought it was kind of just, I don't know, I, I thought it was a ploy, and it is so much more than that. It is so awesome, and how it's connected to a lot of local racers and and uh, the community that's formed around it and uh, all the things that it means as a race connecting to NASCAR's roots. And to, to really show it the disrespect to move it um, away from Fox Sports, uh, kind of the host of all the other races, I, I don't know. I, I, it, there's To me, I just do not see the justification in it at all. Uh, it's going to be really hard to explain that one to me. And if I'm Marcos Lemonis, who owns Camping World, uh, the, the title sponsor of the series, um, I would probably be very, very annoyed. And, and, and honestly, you know what? I think I'm sure the series officials are annoyed a little bit as well. That sounds much more like a TV decision than anything else. And, and I'm sure it doesn't bother anybody more than it bothers NASCAR and the series. Tommy, I appreciate you taking the time. And I'm going to throw you back over to Tim. Um, best of luck. Um, congratulations on, on the 11th place finish out there at um, Iowa. And best of luck going out there the rest of the season. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, Tommy, if I can, I'd sort of like to go back on some of your racing career, how you got started. You started racing go-karts at age five in your hometown there in Mississippi. And it's sort of like a two-fold question, if I can. I want to ask you that uh, about how you got uh, started racing go-karts there. And also, you attended uh, the University of Mississippi uh, on a jur- journalism, uh, you know, seeking a journalism deal there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I started racing when I was really young, uh, but honestly, it didn't work out, <laughs> to be honest. I, <laughs> I crashed a couple times when I was young and, and just said, man, I don't want to do this anymore. And we sold the go-kart, and then I kind of got back in it when I was uh, maybe probably in junior high, once I was growing up a little bit. Uh, that's what's always fascinating to me when I hear about kids starting when they were three or something like that. I mean, that just didn't work for me. Uh, I needed to be older. I, it just, that trajectory was not there for me. Uh, but I got into it when I was in junior high uh, a little bit and then in high school. Um, but honestly, I never really saw a lot would come from it. We ran go-karts. We were competitive. I ran WKA. We ran a lot of uh, regional and national stuff, dirt and asphalt. Uh, we were successful. I was a big kid. I was like 6'2", 180 or 90 in, in high school. So I, I I'll say go-kart wasn't probably the best thing for me. <laughs> it was just what we did. Um, and we were successful with it, uh, but I wasn't just elite at it. I mean, we won a lot of regional races. We didn't win a lot, win any national races at WK. We finished, I think, maybe top 15 in national points one year. I mean, that wasn't too bad for just me and my dad doing it. Uh, but it wasn't anything that I really thought a lot about. And, and so when I went to college, uh, I was going to try to pursue a journalism degree so I could cover NASCAR. Uh, I really wanted to write about it, cover it, be on TV, doing journalism stuff. And, uh, just over the course of my time in, in college, we, we started racing again, raced sports cars, got into late models, and, and from there it kind of parlayed into uh, into the NASCAR side of things. So 
it's kind of funny how things work out. I mean, I always knew that I, I could be a good driver. I always thought that it was something that I had a knack for, um, but it's just about getting the opportunity. Yeah, and you also run some ARCA racing series stuff there too, uh, Tommy. Would you like to talk? Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Uh, I think you're with. Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually kind of cool. Were you with yeah, Curb? That, that's that's neat. It was at Baker Curb Racing up there in, in Nashville. Uh, when they ran the 27 car out there in the in the, what was the Nationwide Series, I believe, uh, uh, Jason Keller drove for them for a little while, um, and also Greg Diffel. Um, but we bought a car from them. Uh, we were going to try to do ARCA racing stuff with them, and it was, quite frankly, the price was a little high. So we wound up buying a car. Uh, it was a guy that uh, Ronnie Smith, who's an old crew chief of mine, and probably one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet, um, Worked on that car. We took it to Daytona. We ran that for a couple of years. Wound up running eighth down there one year on a small effort where we we literally owned the car and the motor that we took down there, uh, which is pretty pretty neat. Uh, finished right behind Danica, her first race down there, and and that was kind of a cool thing to run top ten after uh, qualifying thirty second or something like that, barely getting in the race, and then run top ten in the race. It was really neat. Then the next year, I think we ran thirteenth or fourteenth down there. So couple good competitive runs for us down there in, in Daytona, doing it on our own. And, and we kind of proved early on that we knew if we got some good people working on it and uh, kind of our heart was in the right place, we could go out there and make it work at a high level. And also, Tommy, just let some of our listeners know, uh, the Martins purchased the owner's points of Billy Boat Motorsport for the number 15 truck to run the full 2016 track schedule. I don't know if Steven mentioned that. Because I stepped aside trying mm-hmm. to, you know, catch up on some stuff. Would you like to talk a little bit about that, Buck? Yeah, I mean, the truck season last year was kind of our first full-time foray into it. We, we ran out there in 20, good grief, 2010, 20, no, 2009. We ran a limited schedule, um, just four or five races out there. And and, and ran top 25-ish. Uh, we, we were just okay, honestly. We, we were just kind of getting our feet wet and thing. Last year, we had a little bit more expectations going into it. We, we figured we could go out there and be a top-20 team, and it wound up probably being, honestly, the most competitive season in the history of the Truck Series last year. There were just a lot of new teams, and GMS expanded to a four-car, or excuse me, a four-truck team, and, and it, a lot of expansion in the series. Uh, it made it tough. It was an extremely difficult year to try to be out there running full-time for your first full-time effort. We only owned three trucks. Uh, one of them got torn up pretty good, so really it was only like we had two. Um, and we only had four guys on the team. So it was a very small effort. Uh, but we had a few really quality runs running up inside the top 15 with uh, running kind of running with the big guys. Just didn't happen nearly as much as we wanted to. It's hard to look back at that year and not say it was a little bit of a disappointment. And, and really, that's not a mark against any of our guys because they worked their absolute tails off. Um, I think we just went into it with a little more expectations with some of the knowledge and, and uh, experience that we had in the series before. Uh, but, man, it was just a tough year. And then getting back into it this year, I had a chance to run with NBM Motorsports down in Daytona. That was extremely disappointing. I wound up getting taken out of that, that second lap crash down there in that race. We finished that last, and that, that's a real bummer. I thought we had a chance to potentially win a race down there. Um, went to Atlanta, struggled a little bit back in the 44 car, and, then we changed directions a little bit. So, you know, obviously our plans have changed quite a bit this year. Things have been moving around a lot. I got an opportunity with with, uh, with B.J. McLeod to run the 78 out there in Xfinity, and that has been probably the greatest opportunity I've ever had in my entire career. Um, but Martins Motorsports, we think the best place for it is in the truck series, and we're going to try to get back to that here in the next few weeks. Sounds good, Tommy. 
<clears throat> and I've got uh, my good friend Stan Creekmore from StanCreekmore.com. Uh, he's going to join us uh, if I can. Uh, I'm sure he has a couple questions for you, Tommy Joe, because he's going to come on here at the top of the hour. We're going to talk some NHRA stuff, uh, but I want to bring Stan in, and I'm pretty sure Stan has a couple of questions because he said he wanted to talk to you. Stan, how you doing tonight, my friend? Sure. Oh, I'm alive today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, bud. You're in the pit stop with Tim Spain and Stephen Wilson on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Uh, we got Mr. Tommy Joe Martins there. Uh, you and I spoke earlier. You want to ask him a couple of questions here before we come up on the top of the hour before you do your NHRA deal, bud. You got the floor with Tommy Joe. Well, I just I've just been kind of carefully listening to everything that 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 he's been saying, and and Tommy, I apologize, I don't know a whole lot about you, so refresh me, if you will. How old are you? Where are you from? And what is the first thing you ever drove? <laughs> Thirty years old, I'm from Mississippi, uh, originally born in Memphis, Tennessee, but. Was raised in North Mississippi mostly my entire life. Little small town, Trollo, Mississippi, about population two thousand people, uh, which I take a lot of pride in, and uh, kind of representing my hometown there on a national scale uh, has been a lot of fun. Um, and first thing I ever drove, I guess the first thing I ever drove uh, was a go kart uh, when I was five, and I basically went out in a parking lot. My dad took me out there. He didn't know anything. He had never raced or anything like that. He knew I wanted to race. It was a dirt track go-kart, and uh, it was painted up like Kyle Petty's number 42 Melly Yellow car, uh, the go-kart was. And he went out there, he set two boots on the ground out in the parking lot and said, okay, I want you to try to make a circle around these boots. We're going to act like this is an oval. And before he even finished talking to me, I had to go ahead and just slam it on the gas as hard as I could. Uh, basically spun the thing out wide open, ran it into a curb, split the nose completely in half, uh, knocked me up into the steering column and bruised my ribs, and uh, I, that was my first taste of driving anything. Uh, we split that thing right down the middle, and so my first race that I ever went to was literally later that night in a in a barn out in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and uh, I drug the brakes the whole time because I was scared to death of it. Uh, you can see the nose of the, the go-kart taped up with duct tape, um, and I finished dead last, qualified dead last, finished dead last. And uh, that was the last time I drove a go-kart for a while. That was the first time I ever drove anything. Uh, so, luckily, the rest of my career didn't did, uh, wind up like that. Well, do you know who else started off driving at age five years old? Who who pretty famous in the world of NASCAR. Do you I know? feel it's probably about half of the Cup Series at this point. No, no, no. Come on. Somebody really... Really, really, you know. I'm sure Jeff Gordon started out really young. There you go. Absolutely. He started out at age five, just exactly like you did. Um, And he rode bicycles before then. And his mama didn't want him to get hurt on a bicycle. So his stepdaddy bought him a quarter midget. And at five years old, he learned. That's a lot safer. Yep. Now, do you ever spend any time in Tupelo? Yeah, I've been down to Tupelo several times. Do you do you do you walk by and see an old friend of my house by the name of Elvis Presley? Uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty pretty partial to Elvis in, in my part of the country. Okay, so how about you? Are you partial to Elvis Presley at all? Absolutely. 
Uh, absolutely. That's the, the Elvis Christmas album. It's kind of a, a staple of the Martins household. Okay, so when you get when you get when you get ready to race, when you when you when you spend that time by yourself to to just concentrate on what you're about to do, do you, do you spend a little time thinking about Elvis Presley? <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, my, my reflective time, you know, I've been asked that a few times. Uh, it really doesn't happen um, until I oh. get in the car. Uh, that's it's it's really I don't get too serious. I'm pretty laid back until right before I get in the car. So we do the national anthem, we do the prayer, we do all that stuff. You kind of high five your crew, and right after the national anthem, you got about five minutes until they say, "Gentlemen, start your engines." So that right then is kind of my time, and I say hey to everybody. Uh, I sit on the window for a minute and just kind of look up there at the crowd and, and take a second to just appreciate the opportunity to be doing this at, at such a high level. And when I climb into the car, then that's, that's my time right there. Um, that, that few minutes where I'm getting my helmet on and, and getting strapped in, I usually don't let anybody inside the car. I, I kind of wave anybody off to try to help me until they, until they buckle up the window. So uh, I take that time there to, to really get focused, fire the car up, um, and the last thing I do is put my gloves on. Uh, that's, I know that's kind of a weird tradition for me, but I will fire the car up, sit there, listen to a running, cue the radio up, and when an NASCAR official comes by to check on me, that's when I'll put my gloves on and get ready to go. Okay. I find that extremely interesting. A lot of drivers, one of the first things they do is actually is put their gloves on. So I like the process that you're talking about, you know, how you, you, you get concentrating and everything. And I was wondering when you would say something about the gloves. Now, you've probably told this to, to everyone else, but tell me, when is when and where is your next truck race? The next truck race, uh, I'm not sure of. Uh, that's going to depend on Martin's Motorsports and kind of the direction that we go the rest of the year. Of which right now a lot of stuff in the air. We know we're going to run the last, the next two couple races. We want to put Matt Bills in the truck more often. It just comes down to funding 100%. And Matt knows that. Matt's a great kid. We we want to give Matt Bills uh, a great opportunity in our in our trucks. We think he can go out there and, and run around the top 15 and, and really do well. Uh, but um, as far as me, the next race that I know that I'm running uh, is going to be out there at New Hampshire in the Xfinity Series. BJ McLeod is going to put me back in the car there and like I said, I just can't say thank you enough to him. Um, he could put probably two dozen guys in that seat, uh, and instead he chose me. And uh, luckily enough, I've been able to capitalize on that with our 11th place run here this last weekend. And, uh, I'm, whatever, I'm just so thankful and blessed uh, to have an opportunity in a car like that. Well, being chosen is fantastic. Um, what about Eldora Speedway? Um, truck race not too far in the, in the near future. Uh, and on dirt, how much would you like to, to that to be that next truck race for you? Oh, I would love to run Eldora. What a cool event that is. And, and I was so jealous last year of uh, J.R. Hefner, who wound up running our truck at Eldora. That was really the only race that, that Martin's Motorsports showed up to last year that I wasn't the primary driver. Um, was uh, was Eldora, but also and pretty realistic. 
I don't really have any dirt racing experience in oh. old body cars. And Jeff J.R. Hefner does. That's what he does. He is a big time modified racer up there in the Northeast, and he kicks ass. And he went out there and won his heat race and was running third in the race. So I kind of know my place there. <laughs> I know as cool as it would be for me to run it, I'm probably not the best choice <laughs> as far as driver for that. Um, so I would love to run it. It would just be about finding a sponsor and, and finding somebody that, that would to give you the opportunity. Well, I wish you the best of luck in finding a sponsor. And I've got to tell you that it, it's not necessarily ability – it's desire, and you seem to have fantastic desire, so I also wish you the best of luck when you get up to New Hampshire. All right, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. And, Tom and Joe, this is Tim here again. I know we've kept you way over your allotted time, but thank you again very much for taking time out to call in. Uh, like we do always, like Stephen and I, Stan calls in every now and then. We give, it, we give all, our, all, all of our drivers uh, – let everybody know where they can follow you at on social media and your website. And uh, just thank everybody, Tommy. Oh, yeah. First of all, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, cool to be on with you guys. I know the first time me being on with you, I'd love to be on again uh, whenever you guys want. So just give me a holler. Uh, Twitter, Tommy Joe Martins. Facebook, Tommy Joe Martins. Uh, my website, TommyJoeMartins.com. I got a, I'm lucky. I got a unique name. I don't have to do anything weird to it. So it's pretty easy to find me. <laughs> Uh, you guys can check all that. I just uploaded a bunch of pictures from Iowa from our race this weekend to the website, and you guys can check that out. I did that this morning. Um, so I'm probably going to write something about that a little bit later. Uh, you guys can follow along my blog. wrote a bunch of stuff last year about our experience in the truck series and the ups and downs of that year, which was a, a tough year. And uh, You know, honestly, man, the start of this year was kind of a tough year for Martin's Motorsports in my career, and, and now this opportunity with BJ um, – Man, what a turnaround. I've just been so lucky and just so happy with the direction everything's going. So uh, you guys can follow along. It's, like I said, the tone of it has changed a bit. We're, we're all just really excited. Uh, you guys be sure to follow along on social media, Instagram too, all that stuff. Uh, you guys can check that out. Uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. Tommy, you're welcome. Thank you very much again for taking time out. And uh, we're all proud of you. And just like Stephen said, good luck. And your future endeavors there with BJ McLeod or Martin Motorsports uh, there in the truck series. But congratulations again on that 11th place finish there at uh, Iowa Speedway. Awesome run, buddy. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, you guys have a good night. All right, you too. We'll see you. Tommy Joe Martin's there. Uh, we got Stan, and we got myself, and we got Steven. Uh, uh, Stan, uh, thank you very much yeah. for coming on. We're going to talk some NHRA stuff here, lady. Stephen, uh yeah. Text me. He might. He has a couple questions for you, if that's okay. Then he's gonna jump off, and then we're gonna do some NHRA stuff. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, okay. You, you just hey, want me to ask questions? <laughs> Rapid fire question time. No, I want you to hit me <laughs> over the head. <laughs> you want me to hit him over the head rapid fire questions all right well where, where do you want me to start at um well, hold on wait a minute y'all okay. talking about rapid fire questions uh, let's get ready to rumble thank god we're in the studio amen <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so, I mean, we're halfway through the year in, in NASCAR, all three NASCAR series at this point. We're coming in, into the summer speed weeks down there at Daytona. Um, you know, the, the, the craziness of the season is, is, is well upon us. I mean, you've got uh, the stage-based racing, which, you know, there's those that like it, some that love it, some that hate it. I mean, it's all over the board at this point. Um, you know, you've got... Uh, Steve O'Donnell, who was just on uh, uh, Sirius XM NASCAR radio earlier this week, just talking about this. And, you know, they are going to meet back with their partners uh, for 2018. It's going to return. You know, from your, from your aspect in this, and, you know, this is just here, you know, what I, what I, you know, I wrote about this earlier this week. Um, you know, the stage-based racing, you know, overall this year has increased not only the cautions, but, you know, it's increased the race length in general. So we've not gotten to the root cause of the problem. Um, you know, people are tuning out and people have short attention spans. Um, we've got to get the races down to a point where it's a more palatable for people to watch. And, you know, those memorable moments that NASCAR talked about, um, you know, when Martin Truex Jr. is winning each and every stage almost on a weekly basis um, is not a memorable moment, unfortunately. So, you know, as an alternative to this, uh, I wrote about, you know, we need to change, make some changes to this. And, you know, obviously NASCAR sees that some changes need to be made, but stages are going to return. I, I thought that in, in general that we need to return to to a to a system where we're rewarding drivers based on not only qualifying points but points at the halfway mark. Make these drivers race to the halfway point. Make them do things throughout the race, but without the stages. I mean, we don't need the stages in order to reward them points. Um, I just want to get some of your thoughts on this at the halfway part point in the season, and what you think are some of the some of the changes that could be implemented into 2018? Well, interesting question. You and I are, I think, at opposite ends of of feeling when it it comes to the stages themselves, okay? I think that the stages are making all of the drivers and all of the crew chiefs think a lot harder about what they're doing, not just at one point in the race, but throughout the entire race. I mean, that's just, that's just my personal opinion. I see very positive um, in the stages. I can understand why some fans may not appreciate staging, um, you know. And, in fact, I, I have one here, and I, I, I have one here sitting with us right now. Uh, Mr. Joe B., who's been watching racing since 1963, so he's seen all of the stages and are all the different versions of racing uh, that we've had. So Joe B might be even more um, critical in answering this question than I would be. So if it's okay, I'm going to ask Joe B right now to say, what do you think about stage racing right now, Joe B? Well, I honestly think that it's probably uh, better Better other than right now. We're looking at uh, Martin Truex kind of dominating everything, which is kind of hard to believe that would happen. But uh, uh, I, I think if they if probably try to improve on everything of what they're doing, which will definitely make it a lot better for 
uh, all concerned and definitely give these uh, younger kids more of a chance to uh, step up and uh, probably just keep on winning or, uh, you you know, get their share of the wins for sure. So there you go. There's what Joe B., who's got 879 million years of watching racing, um, in his pocket. I, I don't I don't disagree with him. I think that the staging has helped the youngsters, um, and and it and it's helped I think train crew chiefs in a better way. At the other end, I understand where you're coming from because I do see the negatives as well, and 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 you want people to race as hard as they can every single lap of the race. But the reality is is the cost of racing now or 50 years ago. Drivers could not run 100% every single lap or they'd end up with destroyed cars. So um, what's the answer? Your, your, Your answer is as good as anyone else's answer. On, on what Mike could could make it better. I will say this. When it comes to viewability, because of television, because of digital, the way it is now, you can't compare what happens today to what happened 40 years ago. It's a totally different world. 40 years ago, grandstands were full, because ticket prices were less expensive, but there was no television, and there was very little radio. You throw a whole pile of television into somebody's pocket, you throw the radio into their pocket, and they say, hey, I got three things I want to do today. I'm going to go do these other two things, and then I'm going to listen or watch the race away from the track. And I just don't see any resolution to that scenario. So I hope that answers your question. Well, I'm going to disagree on on the ticket pricing. I mean, you you take a look at, you know, Richmond right now. I mean, this past Richmond race, there was a report at 30,000, 35,000 people in the grandstand for a day race. They were selling tickets for $33 to get to the gate. Uh, You know, Martinsville Speedway does the same thing, 25 30 bucks to get to the gate to watch 500 laps of racing around a short track. Uh, they don't fill out. Uh, you look at Michigan this past weekend, um, you know, I don't know what the ticket pricing was out there, but the infield was obviously filled up, but the grandstands were reported at forty-five dollars to 50, uh, 55000 out there. So, you know, ticket pricing isn't the issue out here. The wholesale problem is is that when you start looking at these hotels out there that are two and $300 a night and they require you to, to have a three-night or a two-night or whatever the minimum is, that's the problem here. Um, you know, Charlotte Motor Speedway, you can go to the race, you know, for the also race of the Coke 600 down there, you know, all day long, a family of four for $99 for either race. Um so ticket pricing, you know, in that aspect, when we look at it today versus 40 or even 30 years ago, um, ticket pricing really hasn't gone up that much or even gone down oh. significantly. I mean, it's 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 relatively stayed the same in many cases. It's gone down. I mean, you used to go to Martinsville Speedway and walk to the back gate at 25 bucks, and you still walk in the front gate at $25 today. So, I mean... 
you know, 25 years later from me being a kid to growing up and covering NASCAR, I either went to the back gate or the front gate today and pay the same price. So, I mean, we, we've not changed that. We've just changed our mentality on to thinking that prices are higher. But we've also had the problem today where we have hotels, which are much more expensive. Um, and we cannot get that down to, to, a, to a point where, you know, the hotels are going to work with NASCAR. And they shouldn't. And I'm not saying they should work with us. They're an independent they're an independent body that we, we can't force them to do anything. Um, but I, I think the ticket equation is, is totally, totally out of, you know, totally out of the realm of the conversation at this point and why people aren't coming into the stands. Um, you know, there's a lot of problems as, you know, to why that's occurring. And, you know, social media is one of those, one of those aspects, of course, you know, as you just alluded to when people can pick it up out of their pocket and fire up Twitter and Facebook and, you know, Instagram and, you know, any number of apps that are in the store, uh, you know, why, why on many cases do, do people not show up into the grandstands anymore when they can uh, can do it that way these days? Okay. One thing on the ticket prices. I I used to, way back in 1980, 1980, I had top-row tickets. That's where my wife and my daughter would sit, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. They were $40 a ticket. Those same tickets today are $260 a piece. Have tracks made cheaper tickets in certain areas? Yes, they have. In every area, no. And if you're getting a primary seat at a racetrack, you are paying a huge amount of money. Joe B., who just was talking with you, is a guest of Gatorade this coming weekend at Daytona International Speedway. Gatorade will spend almost $250,000 to put 50 people in the suite and feed them for two races. That is an enormous expense. When I stand, this is Tim. I want to back up on ticket prices if I can. Uh, okay. Just sort of back up Just sort of back up on Stevens deal there. Here at Talladega Super Speedway, my home track, which uh, – Grant Lynch, Aaron Russell Brown, they always try to do a big uh, a big promotion for kids under 12 or free and all that. But back in the day here at Talladega Super Speedway, we didn't have that upper tier, uh, what you're saying back in the 80s, as far as a $40 ticket. Uh, well, mm-hmm. All we had was we had one tower, I think, back when I worked for any state. We might have had two. I think we had the Anderson Tower. Well, they had the Birmingham Tower that they built. And then they built the Aniston Tower. That was before they built them up to your seats, like Stephen was talking about. And right. so back in the day, like Stephen's talking about going to Darlington or Richmond or everything, that was the primary seat was your lower seats. So pay that extra money, you know, you had to pay it to get up there. But I yep. do agree with you, and I do agree with Stephen also, not trying to get a controversy going on, but the way the sport has come, the tracks are building up. You know, Daytona Rising, they built everything up, 
and you're going to pay that prime seat there to get that look. But here at Tile yep. Super Speedway, like I was talking about earlier, there was not but one or two towers when I worked for Annie Staley here. Everything right. was lower tier, so everything was the the same. So it's not in my in my perception of it, it's not really the track. It is the fans that are wanting that upper tier seat to where they can see the whole track, which back in the day, I'm going to call my age out back in the 80s, you couldn't see the whole track unless you purchased that ticket for the Birmingham Tower or the Anderson Tower here at Tidal Super Speedway. And I, I don't want to quote the price because I can't remember it, like, but like I keep harping on, uh, not taking Steven's side and not taking your side, but back in the day, that's the way it was. You had your lower seats that uh, that Bill France Sr., built here at Talladega and at Daytona back in the day and that's the way it was and if you want to get up a little bit higher and see the race you know hey come off the pocket but well I I understand it and I and I accept like I like I said I accept the argument on tickets I'm just all the only difference I have with Stephen on this is that it's to wipe it clean and say no that's not part of what's going on today okay and, and I just disagree position in that respect because I'm telling you corporations can't buy the number of tickets they used to buy. It's against the federal law. They can't exactly. Tax exactly. They can't I would tax definitely agree with that. Yeah. Okay? They, they, they can't. Gatorade used to have a suite at 16 different tracks. We now have a suite at five tracks and our cost for five tracks is close to what we used to pay for 16 tracks exactly so there, there, you cannot look past the cost of tickets is he right about hotels oh yeah oh Absolutely. yeah hotels oh, yeah. in some areas aren't so fussy in other areas they charge a price set by federal law, which is hundreds of dollars more than what they would normally pay. And all you have to, all a fan has to do is look on the door of, of a hotel, and then by federal law, everything has to be there, what the maximum price is for, for any particular room. And look, I can remember back in the mid-1980s, when going to Dover, one of the biggest problems of going to Dover wasn't the price of a ticket. It was, as Stephen says, the price of a hotel. A hotel that wasn't worth $19 a night in 1980 would be 75 to $100 the way they would make money. So my, my, my deal again with Stephen is don't, don't just push aside ticket prices because – there's a reason that tracks now charge less for children under certain ages because parents said I couldn't afford all of those tickets. But if you'll reduce the price, maybe I can. When I stand, I remember back well, in I mean, the early 80s, like you brought I mean, up, uh, when the IROC series was around and all that, I remember going to Todd Super Speedway, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old when mom and dad took me. I never. I never paid for a ticket on a Saturday. But now, right. today on Sundays, they are charging. Oh, no, correct me. I'm sorry. I misspoke. 
they are not charging on Sundays now for 12 and under. And I think that's at, at most tracks. Am I correct, Stan? No, you're wrong. See, that's where Talladega is ahead of everybody. Talladega was already helping parents bring their children to the events before NASCAR stepped up and asked every track to do that. And when NASCAR came up with their situation of how to price for kids, Talladega said, well, we're going to go one better because we were already doing everything you're asking us to do. We're going to go one better. Okay. Thank thank you for clarifying, clarifying that for me, Stan. I'm sorry. I did not know that. Stephen, I'm sorry. I better didn't go ahead, but well, I mean that's that's not necessarily true at all because I I can tell you for I can tell you for from an aspect of you know when when Richmond and Bristol were selling out uh, twenty five and thirty uh, streak races out there that you sat on row one out there and they didn't care whether you were a year old or seventy five years old or whatever the case may be uh, it was. It was either eighty or eighty-five dollars just to sit on row one. Uh, right. If you wanted to sit up in the towers, I mean, you were spending no less than one hundred and sixty-five dollars to sit up in the towers, and right. they didn't care what your age was. Uh, you know, you wanted to walk in. You wanted to walk into the the Bush series uh, at the time. It, it was forty or forty-five bucks to walk into the Bush series during that time. It, they didn't care. Um, right. And that didn't that didn't stop 110, 112 people from walking into Richmond International Raceway, or 165,000 people, 160,000 people walking into Bristol uh, uh, every single weekend for 30 plus 30, what 32 or 33 different streaked out cells uh, for them. Uh, I I think it's just disingenuous just to say that it's just the ticket prices overall um, because it's not. Um, you know, it's a line of thinking at this point to think that, you know, um, you know, ticket prices are outrageous because they really aren't. Um, look at any track in the nation, and I can pull a half a dozen different promotions that they're running. I get them all day, every day in, in press releases from them. Um, you know, I can get two tickets to go to Talladega for, for the final race of uh, Dale, Dale Earnhardt's, their last race there. Um, tell me that's not reasonable. Is it the best seats in the world? No. But if you want to really go and watch a race, you're going to go and find a way to spend 88 bucks to go and watch your favorite race car driver go watch a race, and you're not going to use the excuse that $88 is too expensive. Well, if you've got the money, you're absolutely correct. We're just going to have – I think we're just going to disagree on this situation because – and, and, and I will point out to you, Richmond International Raceway has never had over 100,000 seats, never. Yes, and they, when, yes they have. I can tell you that. They, they had okay. 112,000 seats when, when they were in their sellout streets. They, they reduced it down to under 100,000, and now they're down to 71,000. I mean, I've lived in the area. No, they're down to 60,000. You know, they're down 71,000 is what they're reporting. Okay. Okay, all right. My point, look, in the 1980s, Bristol was not owned by SMI. They didn't have 165,000 seats, okay? 
but at the they, end they, of their but at the end of their streak, they did. I mean, SMI. Well, obviously, I mean, they yeah, didn't. But at yeah, the end of their and, streak, SMI they were did. Black, I mean, they they, co- were, the they were consistently adding. They were the last track to be able to do any kind of a sellout. Okay, because that's how much the people loved the racing. But when the racing, the quality of the racing is not as valuable as what they're asking for a ticket, people will say, hey, instead of watching it on and, and, at the track, I'm going to watch it on TV. And there you go. There, there's there's the end game right there. If the product on the track they don't feel justifies the 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 what they have to pay the the entry fee to get through the gate, then obviously they're not going to to pay it. I mean the the analogy here is is that you know you go to a Washington Redskins game in in, in Maryland and you're not going to pay anything less than a hundred dollars just to walk through the gates and it's twelve or fourteen dollars for you know a beer at the concession stand. Uh, you know, and people pay this. Uh, obviously, they find value in this. Me personally, uh, I live, you know, two and a half hours, three hours away, and I'm not going to pay $100 a ticket and pay $14 for the beer. I'm going to sit and watch it on my local sports station. So the analogy is I don't I don't feel the value in that ticket in the $14 ticket uh, beer that's at the concession stand, whereas, you know, Walking through the gates of you know Richmond or Martinsville or Bristol, which are all within the vicinity, I, you know, I, I find value into that, and I think everybody has to find value. And at the end of the day, entertainment dollars are increasingly shrinking, and that's why tracks are trying to find any way possible uh, to fight for that ever shrinking dollar. And I think we do see that in many different aspects. And I've, we've seen this at Richmond. I mean, even Richmond themselves said that, you know, they've, they've acknowledged this when they saw 30,000 people show up in this past April race. And they said, okay, in 2018, we're going back to two nighttime races. We get it. You guys don't like daytime racing at Richmond. We're going to go back. The fans have said, great, we will show up. And they're going to seek the value into that. Um, you know, but they, at the end of the day, every other track has to do the same on what they feel is best for their customers coming into their racetrack because everybody likes something different. Stephen, just a quick question for you. Did, yep. was, was the Richmond race profitable? This year, Sam? Was it profitable? Was it profitable for that organization? That that's beyond my capacity to even know. No, it's not. No, I don't know. Not. No, it's not. You know why it was? Pro- I'm going to tell you that it was profitable, and I'm going to tell you why it was profitable. Because Richmond made more money on its TV deal than it's ever made in its entire history. Every track right now is making more money on its TV deals than at any other time in their history. So the value of those watching TV is greater than the value of those buying a ticket. And and that's true for now, you know, as long as this TV deal holds out. But as the TV ratings continue to shrink, I think we're going to see a renegotiation in this TV deal. 
at some point. I think we've run through, what, 2022 or something like that with this TV deal, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. We got seven more years. We got seven more years. Okay, set. And then the disaster hit. Then the disaster will hit. Yeah. But, but hey, you're we right. all need, I, I, we need fans to show up. We need fans to show up. Uh, and from from a sports, from a journalistic standpoint, I would rather see people sitting in the seat than people watching it at home on television. Well, I think we have to That's find the right balance of it. <laughs> I mean, I think oh. you have to find the right balance of it, no matter what. I mean, if. If people aren't showing up and coming through the, through the grandstands and people aren't watching at home or they're not doing both, then, uh, you know, you know, what are you putting the races on for? I mean, it, you do have to have both in some aspects. And you're right, you know, having people come through the gates and having people come out there and interacting with the fans, and it makes for, you know, TV to look good. But, you know, at the same time, we have to make sure that it, there's a value for those fans that, you know, do want to watch it on TV at the same time. So, you know, it's a it's a common balance that we have to find for for each individual. You know, we can't please 100% of people at 100, 100% of the time, but, you know, what we can do is at least look out for those that, uh, you know, as many people as possible. Well, I, I, would, I would just say to you that tracks were selling out like crazy before television even existed. Showing any showing any kind of live television whatsoever, and it's ever since television got there and started taking over control of the sport that the number of fans have 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 reduced, you know, con, con, considerable. And and that's true with any sport whatsoever. The NFL suffers the same issue. People would rather watch it on television. And go to the stadium. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, that's kind of the world we live in today, and uh, we're not going to get away from that. Um, you know, nope. these TV, these networks pay prime dollar to, to cover these sports, um, and they put a lot of resources behind this. Obviously, not no no matter what sport it is, we're we're you know the NFL. You're right. The NFL is in the same boat as as NASCAR is. Um, you know, uh, baseball. Every every sport that's covered on on live television is suffering the same fate. And this isn't just you know a conversation that you know we're having today. Right. Every sports every sports journalist every person in any executive or every front office of a team is having the same conversation today, tomorrow, this week, and next month um, on how do we fix this. And, you know, it's not going to be a short term. We can argue and disagree, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be something that's going to be fixed overnight. Nope, nothing's going to get fixed overnight. And, and thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the conversation. Tim, I got some people here. I want to get to NHRA if we can. <laughs> Where'd he go? Yeah. He disappeared. I think I think, yeah, I think we ran him away. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. No, I've well, got I'll, I'll, here. 
I'll let you all go on, and I'll I'll wait for him to come back. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, we you know we we had a great um, NHRA event this past weekend at um, Norwalk, uh, Ohio, uh, the Summit Equipment Nationals, and um, one of the gentlemen who's here with me. Uh, tonight, um, Dave, right? Did I get that right? I got it right this time. Dave, I got I, I, I took him up and introduced him to Don Schumacher. And for those of you listening who don't know who Don Schumacher is, um, he's, a, he's a very successful businessman who raced in the NHRA Drag Racing Forever. His son... Tony Schumacher is a multi-time uh, champion in Top Fuel, and um, and and Dave had something. Dave again, right? I'm getting it right. Dave had something very interesting to show Don Schumacher. So Dave, speak up. Tell us what you showed Don Schumacher. I've been going through the NHRA races for probably 50 years, and uh, I took a lot of pictures years ago and stuff. And we. Uh, I was looking through some old pictures I had, and I found a picture of the Wonder Wagon that Schumacher ran in the 70s. So Stan says, bring that. I want to show it to him. So we met him for breakfast. They had a media lunch or a media breakfast there, and we met them. And uh, Tony was there. Antoine Brown was there. And uh, I showed that picture to Don, and he says, wow, I can't believe that we've evolved this far. And he had Tony come over. He says, look at this. This is your dad's old car. And Stan says, well, would you sign it for him? He says, I'd be more than happy to. And, we, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff about the old days and everything, how they worked on them and stuff. And it was really, he was really a nice guy, interesting guy and everything. So it was, it was a nice, nice trip. So now, <clears throat> I've taken you into a cup garage, and you've talked to a car owner oh, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a cup garage. You talked to Richard Childress. You, you talk to one of the Wood Brothers and everything. Well, compare the difference of getting in and talking to Don Schumacher versus talking to a couple of cup owners. Uh, if you go to the NASCAR race, you can't see anybody unless you've got a special special pass. You go to NHRA, everybody knows who John Force is, the maniac. So if you want to talk to him, you go up, shake his hand, he'll sign your anything you want. And uh, his daughters, they're there. They'll do the same thing. They're really fan friendly with kids. As I've seen them, I've seen uh, John Force take some little kid and set it in the seat of his funny car and take his picture. And that, that really makes a kid's day. But it's a whole different ball game, NASCAR and NHRA. And a lot of the people don't really know the difference. You got to go to really see, you know, how much difference there is in both. All right, I also have Joe B. here. And now, the thing that makes Joe B. so important is that, let's see, you're at race. When you make it to Daytona this coming weekend, that's number 980 what? 986. That will be his 986 cup race. Not, not, don't count the Bush Series. Don't count any truck series races or anything like that. 986 cup race. But earlier this year, he and his son-in-law and your two 
grandson came up to Z-Max Dragway for a drag race. Talk about the the, the hours that you spent there that day. We was uh, as, with as many times as I've been in the pits for the cup cars or anything else. Uh, nothing can compare with uh, Charlotte at the Z-Max where they're four wide. Uh, just the experience of standing there on the start on the start line where they just fire off is just unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's three to four seconds and uh, 330, 340 miles an hour. Uh, four of them abreast is just, uh, just amazing. But then then the highlight, again, like Dave just said, was going down into the pits and meeting everybody down there. All the drivers, I mean, it was like, uh, it, it was no problem for John Forrester's daughter Courtney and Brittany and, and Robert Haight was there and uh, all uh, into a booth that, that anybody could walk up and talk and just uh, uh, just uh, autographs or whatever you wanted. It, it was it was right there. Where today in NASCAR, very hard to do that. Uh, back in the seventies and eighties, I can remember uh, the Petties and the, and the, the Ellisons and, and and Yarborough and all and all those guys sitting on their of their car after the race, waiting for people to come and talk to them. I mean, not so today. So I I think I think we're missing that part of it uh, where. It, it would probably do uh, NASCAR, the Cup Series especially, a world of good. And we're seeing it every week now. It, at every track that I go to, it's 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 50%, 60% maybe. Uh, maybe like Bristol or those other places. Uh, uh, Barnesville still has a good crowd. Darlington is the best of, the, of all of them. I, I think they should get a second race back for sure. And God Almighty, bring back uh, Rockingham. Oh, that was without a doubt the, the most the most fantastic one mile super speedway ever. All right, I got to shut Joe B up. He's talking about NASCAR instead of about the NHRA and everything. Um, I tell you what. Well, how's Tam? Yes. Hey, Tam. It's Tam. I I know you won't talk NHRA, but I want to I want to hear a little bit about Rockingham. If you don't mind, let okay. Well, let, if right, you don't wait, mind, wait, let Joe wait. D go about some Rockingham. I'll tell you what. Right now, if you they took the back stands out, of course, but you could still drive there and still between turns three and four, there's still a, a, a like a two way tunnel there, going from the outside to the inside. And when you get inside, you turn around and look at that at that wall behind you it's it's got to be I, I know it's not Bristol's 36 or Talladega's 34 percent but again it is unbelievable just uh, just to see that track oh. and and the, the days were I mean I'm sure they only drew 60,000 50,000 but, but still those were true true uh, fans that Actually, spent three or four days there. They camped. Uh, uh, there wasn't any motels unless you went into town, and that was like ten or twelve miles away. But still, all in all, 
hands down. Uh, I'm still a, I'm still a, a Darlington fan. Um, I've probably been to more than 75 races at, at uh, Darlington over the years, but it's just uh, Rockingham. I, I wouldn't miss that for the world. Believe me. <laughs> exactly. Hey. And Stan, if I and Stan, if I can, yeah. you know, I yeah. I know we had been trying to get Joe B on, and I want to thank you for uh, for. Uh, driving down to uh, turn four there in the in the motorhome parking lot. Suzanne and I, we got to meet Joe yes. And he, uh, yes. at that point, he had attended 983 cup races. That don't include yep. other races. Cup races. Right. And, Joe B, and Joe B touched on that. If I can, uh, I want to ask Joe B, he's talking about Rockingham, which I have never been to Rockingham. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that I worked for the late, great uh, N.H. Taylor here at Tidal Super Speedway, which owned North Wilkesboro, and uh, oh. Joe B, how many races did you attend at North Wilkesboro? Uh, I was uh, two a year for maybe the last uh, yeah, 25 years, maybe. I mean, um, but I've, I've been, uh, that was a 5-8 mile, just unbelievable racing there, too. I mean, without a doubt. I mean, there's, exactly. there's certain, certain tracks. Uh, these mile and a half, they they just don't cut it uh, as far as a, a true race fan. Today, Michigan last week or two weeks ago, it was it was uh, kind of boring for the most part until the uh, I, I, the large the larger tracks for some reason. Now, don't take away Daytona or Talladega. I mean, Talladega still all in all. I haven't missed too many races there either. I got my original. I have my original program from Talladega back in the day. I'll tell you what, I, I treasure that. It was, it was a whole one dollar, in case you want to know. <laughs> but, yes, uh, sir. Yes, uh, sir. But still, but North Wilkesboro, I, I still take my crews there. and We still go in. The stands are still there. And the grass is growing up through the, the – that, that, it, that's just a crime that somebody couldn't. Uh, but, again, it takes – it takes fans, it takes people, and it takes uh, it would take NASCAR to to give it a race back or just try it back again. I don't mind it. I mean, you're losing fans from all the rest of these tracks. That, that just, I don't know. I just love the short tracks. Uh, Bristol, uh, Martinsville, twice a year. Uh, twice a year, Bristol. Martinsville, I, I haven't missed a race in Martinsville in 30-some years. That's Thank awesome. You. That's awesome, Joe. Great. It's just great racing. It's only it's a nine ten hour drive for us, but uh, if you like if you like good short track racing, that that's the place to go. Believe me. Exactly, hey. Suzanne and I both we have attended Martinville. We went to Richmond, and uh, but that, I mean, there's something about Wilkesboro, and I want to go ahead and throw this out there, uh, Stan. You might know it. Uh, you might not know it. Joe be there, uh, but Stephen Wilson and. Uh, one of his good friends upstate New York, they are they are the supporters of Save the Speedway, you know, Save North Wilkesboro. I don't know if you've seen that on Facebook or uh, Twitter. But, I mean, uh, Joe B., uh, I remember uh, I was working for Enoch. I can't remember my my mind shot, Joe B., but uh, Suzanne and I were dating, and we, uh, you know, I went and asked her dad, Toby Deese, for her hand in marriage, and we were going to get married. And Enoch said, Tim, I want to fly you and Suzanne up to Wilkesboro. He said, I've put in 12,000 seats. 
And Joe B, can you help me out? I think the the twelve thousand seats that he put in was that turn two, Joe. Uh, yeah, that t- that tower uh, it, it extended from the main street way around the, the the last tower was down in turn two. Yes, it was. Yes. Okay. And okay. The, Thank the wood, you. And the wood and the wood fence still between <coughs> three and four. Remember yes. the wood fence? Oh my yes, God. sir. Yes, sir. I never, I never got to go there, Joe. But anyway, Stan, I'm sorry Uh-oh. I've got into your, I, I'm sorry I got into your NHRA stuff. But Joe, be got talking about we're throwing ahead of jumping there. Stan, go ahead, bud. Talk some more about NHRA. We, we've got 15 minutes before we got to end the okay. show. But any, but any, anything you want to talk about, uh, Stan? Y'all go ahead and talk about it. Well, number one, the first thing is you gotta you gotta promise me that you'll have Joe B on again, okay? And the, oh, well. gonna, and the question you're going to ask him is, what did your daughter have to do when she wanted to get married? Oh, okay. I thought she was going to want me to ask him, does he prefer boxers or briefs? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> All I know is when, when when you have him back on again, you <laughs> when you get him back on again, you have to say, you have to ask him about what his daughter had to do when she wanted to get married, because it is an incredible story. To say is the this something? Is this something we can play on national radio? Stan, just want to make sure that we're good on that. Is it something we can play on national radio, Joby? Oh, yeah. oh yeah, hell yeah! He says absolutely. Okay, absolutely. all right. I'm not gonna go there. But Stan, I want to. Well, th- is, but is there anything you want to throw? In? I, I, I want to bring this yeah. up. Uh, I know we, you know, I I keep saying we come up here on it, but uh, I want to thank you for filling in for Stephen that week when he was out of pocket, and you got Brittany Force on, and um, you and your you and your whole team there, y'all are big in NHRA. Suzanne and I are trying to get in it, which I've always watched it, but you know, Brittany brought up she brought up the point that uh, whenever she takes a tree, whenever she leaves the tree there, it puts five G's on her body. Was what she told us on the show that night. That is yes. unbelievable, Stan. That's unbelievable. Oh, it, it it absolutely is. But before before we run out of time and everything, okay, I I want to get Dave here. Dave, is that no, Joe? I want to get Dave here to tell you what he thinks about an individual who used to be the engine builder. At Joe Gibbs Racing, when Bobby Labonte won a championship, Jason Line was the engine builder. Jason Line is a multi-time pro-stock champion in the NHRA, and he is the current defending champ. So I'm turning it over right now to Dave. Come on in the house, Dave. Come on in the house, Dave. How you doing tonight, bud? (laughs) Oh, good. And we just come back from over there at Norwalk. Stan and I spent the weekend. He worked and I goofed off. But uh, <laughs> now we, we we had a good time. We get to meet a lot of people. Uh, he did an interview with Ron Caps. I sat there. Caps is a super guy. He's Stan asked him a few questions and he opened up and told him anything he ever wanted to know. And uh, oh, we just bummed around there with everybody. And everybody treated us great. And all the drivers and everything. Uh, I ran into some people that restored. You remember Grumpy Jenkins? Yes, sir. He might not know Grumpy. 
Oh, yes, sir, did. I do. Oh, everybody yes, sir, I do. Okay. okay. I, I ran into some people that restored the number four Camaro that he ran in the 70s there. Mm-hmm. And they, they put the thing all back together and restored it, and they had it at the Summit display over there. And uh, those pictures I had, I kind of went through them, and I found some old pictures of Jenkins working on a car and a shop and stuff. So they were putting a kind of a collage of pictures together. So I gave them some pictures. And she couldn't believe what I gave him to him. But I said, look, I've enjoyed him. Now it's somebody else's turn. So uh, if you ever get a chance to see uh, the, the car, they show it around the country quite a bit. That was, that was like the old days, you know? Yes, sir. I would love I would love to see that car, Dave. I've, I've seen pictures of it on social media. I would love to see it in person. Yeah, this was a, well, this was a grumpy toy number four. That's where he went to the Vegas and everything. But uh, I've got some pictures. Uh, in fact, I've got some old Super 8 movies of Jenkins. That's how long I've been watching this stuff. And we've gone That's to a ton, awesome, of, you know, a ton of races. When they, remember when they used to come out with the mountain motors and they mass raced and everything? Yes, sir. You know, like, Believe uh, it or not, I'm still, you know, back in it, you know, my my root sport is NASCAR, but I have, I have always wanted to be a part of NHRA. I remember it. Oh yeah, I've I belonged there for for years and years. But we hit a lot of the races. You know, we go to Gainesville, we go to Columbus, English Town. Uh, oh, I don't know, just wherever we could afford to go back then. But we had, we had a lot of fun going to the races like that. Uh, they would come. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Thompson Raceway Park over in Ohio. There? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Every Fourth have... of July. Really, you've been there? I have not been there, but I have I have heard of it, Dave. I have not been there. Oh, they uh, every Fourth uh, of July they used to bring all the pro stocks. Like there was Socks and Martin, uh, Nicholson, Jenkins. Uh, oh man, I can't think of some of the other guys now. I'm kind of rolling here, but uh, yeah, they used to have a uh, Fourth of July. The, they called it the Independence Eve Pro Stock Meet, and uh, everybody that was who's who showed up. You know, we'd go. We'd Take a little beer and have a little fun, you know, and watch uh, and watch you guys. And it's the same deal. After they would run, you get out in there and uh, through the pits, you could go up and talk to them and everything. And uh, it was just a lot of fun, you know, back then. Hey, Tim. Yes, sir. I'm gonna throw a question in real quick here. Now don't. Okay. Uh, do, okay th- throw it in, but don't throw me off, Nasty. You know, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to throw. I'm not going to throw you off. <laughs> All right, Dave. Do you remember Work. when a great NASCAR car owner used to build pro stock style car in the NHRA? And I'm talking about Jack Roush. Oh yeah, it used to be Gap and Roush. Yeah. Yeah, Jack Roush was a big drag racer. Him and uh. It was Wayne Gap and Jack Roush. They, they, well, they still ran Fords and everything back then. But uh, probably one of the, the biggest names that came along was Bob Glitt. He was a champion quite a few times. And then, uh, oh, there's a ton of names I could pick. Warren Johnson. Uh, oh, jeez, I don't know. I can't think of all of them right now. But, uh, you know, that uh, they started out the pro stocks. What they evolved from the super stocks. Because they kept going faster and faster, and they had to go better and better cars, and that's like the funny cars. Uh, they started out the AFXs. I don't know if you remember them or not. And somebody one time went up and said, "That boy sure is a funny looking car." 
and that name stuck to this day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you remember all that or not. That, Dave, uh, I am, I am, I am trying to crush all this stuff in my brain, and y'all, y'all know too much about it than I do. But I don't remember that. Dave, I have one question for you. Too. Yes. Do you prefer boxers or brief, or do you and Joe B swap boxers? <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'm. I'm. I'm sorry. I don't wear underwear. <laughs> Commando, huh? I heard that. Hey, Stan, I, I could talk for three hours with y'all. And Stan, thank I want to thank you very much for all that you do for sport. Thank you very much for being a big supporter of the pit stop with Tim and Stephen Wilson and everything. But I want to let you throw thank out you. there where, you, where everybody can follow you at on social media. And again, thanks to Dave, Joe B. Everybody, uh, like I said, I'm gonna say it again. I keep repeating myself. I could talk to y'all probably half the freaking night, but <laughs> come up <laughs> with But anyway, Dave, Joe, me, and whoever else is in the background, thank y'all very much. But Stan, let everybody know they can follow you at on social media. I know it's StanCreekMore.com. You got the floor, my friend. Yep, it's StanCreekMore.com, and it's Stanley R. Creek Mo. If you're if you're if you're on Twitter. And um, I'll be spending this weekend sitting in a Gatorade suite, uh, taking care of some college coaches. And um, and Joe B is going to be there with some friends of his. Uh, we're going to take care of him. And and uh, and I'll be thankful I don't have to put up with Dave this weekend <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I get you home. I want you dinner. What else do you want? I tell you what, I'll tell you this, Tim. People don't really believe that there is some wonderful history of fans and sports, uh, motorsports in particular, up here in the Erie, Pennsylvania area. And, and in fact, there is. You can see that with Joe B., and if you actually went to a channel lock factory in Meadville, if you went a block and a half past there, you'd run into Dale, a uh, Dave. You'd run in, you'd run into Dave because he worked right next to the channel lock factory. Well, if I if I do venture up there, make sure he's got his boxers on. I don't want to see him commando. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If you come to me, though, I'll buy you a pair of channel locks. All right, ten four, Dave. Thank you very much. And Stan, like I right. said, Susan and I, we really appreciate y'all, Dave and Joe B and whoever you got there in the background. But Susan and I still, we still want to go to an NHRA event. We've never been to one, so I will be in contact with you. And thank you very much for coming on the show tonight, Stan. And safe yeah. travels to wherever you're going to the Gatorade Suite. And uh, yeah. Just let just let everybody know uh, next week, uh, Steve and I will be right back here live uh, from Talladega, Alabama. We'll be talking about the uh, Coke Zero 400 there at Daytona International Speedway. This will be Dale yep. Jr.'s final race at Daytona. So, Stan, thank you very much. We're going to say good night from Talladega, Alabama. I'm Tim Spain alongside of Stan Creekmore from StanCreekmore.com. It's your next Tuesday. Take care. Well, the world just lost.